In the Bible last week, we read a passage uh, in the book of Revelations where God writes to the church in Ephesus. And he basically says, uh, there's, you know, I'm, I'm, in other words, I'm kind of proud of all the different things that you do that are good. But there's only one thing that I hold against you. And what is that? The thing that he held against him is like, you've forgotten your first love. And what was that first love? You know, you forgot about the passion, the community with God, and you forgot about the, your love for one another. And so, uh, you know, in one way or another, we could be a reflection of that church where maybe we're doing a lot of things right. And, and you know, we're passionate for God in, in our service and in our commitment and in a lot of things. But the relationships have grown cold. And we want to uh, make sure we address that and we do what God is asking us to do. So with this whole series of going back to the basics or going back to what's essential... Uh, there's a parable, or there's a story in the Bible, you probably heard of it many times. It's actually uh, one of the most basic ones, I would think, so most people kind of know it by heart. But I felt the Lord was pressing us uh, today to go into it and dive a little bit deeper. I'm sure you already heard it, so if you have or if you know it, you'll be like, oh, I already know that. But I hope you have an open mind and open spirit to uh, get what God is wanting us to teach today. And so go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 24 to verse 27. Okay? Verse 24 to verse 27. You probably heard this parable before, but it's the story of building, of the man who built his house on a rock, and the man who built his house on the sand. You all heard of this, right? Who knows the story? You probably know it by heart. Okay, but let's dive into it and let's read it real quick. So, Matthew 7 verse 24. Up to 27. Building on a solid foundation. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. It is like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Another translation says bedrock. And I'll tell you why that's important later. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears his teachings and does not obey them is foolish. It's like a person who builds his house on the sand. When it rains or when the rains come and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So say this with me. When the storm comes. Look, it's not saying if the storm comes or if it ever shows up. It's saying when it comes. Tell, the, tell your neighbor, a storm is coming. This is showing us that there are storms that are going to come, number one. Second, it says, it will collapse. It will come crashing down. What? What was built on sand. Um, in San Francisco, you guys know San Francisco, the city? It's a city in California, in the United States. Um, I've had the opportunity to go there, a very beautiful city. And there's this tower I saw, this building. It's called the Millennium Tower. Have you guys heard of the Millennium Tower? Has anybody heard of it? It's really popular. It's really famous. So you might have heard of it. But it's a, a very beautiful building. Right? It's made out of glass, beautiful glass, the way it's structured. It, it's actually gorgeous. And for me, uh, I really like buildings. I like, uh, I've had the opportunity to travel quite a bit. And I like seeing how the, how the, the city sky is shaped by all the buildings and all the tall towers. And I think one of the things that amazes me is tall buildings. Because I think, um, I was actually looking at pictures of Calgary this, uh, this week. And I saw pictures of 100 years ago of downtown. And there was a river and a couple shacks. Looked like farmland. And you look at it now, you know, and you see all these buildings, incredible buildings. I mean, when we go here, there's a, a little cliff here. You can go and see, and you just see the, the whole city line. It looks amazing. And I've always thought about buildings. Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an architect. And today I work in, in, in construction, and I draw a lot, and I do my own drawings and stuff like that. So for me, it's very significant. But one of the things that I've often thought of is it's incredible for me how a person can draw something on paper, I guess then put it into a computer program, but eventually built it. And, you know, when you look at these towers, who here has ever raised or lifted a bag of concrete or any building material? Has anybody ever done it? They're heavy. Super heavy. I mean, this is just one little thing. When you start to imagine the amount of material that is in these towers, the amount of stuff, I mean, these buildings are immense. They are heavy. 
you know, and it just blows my mind how tall they can be and how beautiful they make them. Like, I often even think about how the glass is so perfect, right? I'm like, it's hard to fit tile together. And you look at these buildings, and it's all glass, and they're perfect. The water doesn't, it's just incredible. Now, the reason why I'm saying this, when I saw this Millennium Tower, I was really amazed. I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is a gorgeous building. It's incredible. It's amazing how people can build this. It's a 58-story tower. It's all glass. It's a very luxurious tower, too. It's a residential tower that has over 400 residential units. And these are like high-end units. Like, they're glass. You know, the glasses are made of, a lot of the walls are made of glass. And there's marble and granite and just high-end materials and luxury and the latest technology. And they just put so much into this tower. And I can imagine the people who drew it for, say, the architects or maybe the engineers that came up with the calculations and the investors who put about $350 million into building this thing. You know, it, it must have been like a dream. And by the time it was built and they saw how beautiful it was and all the units sold out and people moved into it and it was a hit. You know, they must have been proud and just felt amazing of, of this great accomplishment. For some of them, it might be the greatest accomplishment of their lives. Now, let me tell you, I don't know if you know a little bit about how buildings are built, but these huge towers that I'm telling you, and, and because of the weight and the size of them, when they're building them, if you've ever seen a construction site, they start digging down. Have you ever seen that? They dig. And sometimes you see a really big hole, three, four, five stories high, and you're like, well, that's how deep the foundation is. And no, that's just how deep the parkings are in <laughs> some of the foundations. But the foundations actually go much deeper than that. They have these machines, and they put what's called pylons, and you start banging down these concrete pillars. And you start banging down, 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 sometimes drilling holes, and they go into what's called the bedrock. Okay? All the earth, it doesn't matter where, if you start digging, you will eventually find rock. Okay? That's what it is. You'll find rock. Now, that rock is strong. Land, soil, you know, it could be dirt, could be clay. Could be sand, could be gravel. All this moves. If you go down into the bedrock, that's like the, you know, the real foundation of the earth. That's what everything is laid upon. And so what builders do is they start putting these pylons or these huge concrete pillars that reach that deep down. Sometimes 100 feet, 150, 200, 300 feet, however deep they have to go. And they put these pillars and on top of those pillars is where they start fabricating the foundation. And the reason why they do that is because this building's so immense, it actually needs something really strong to hold it up. So in the Millennium Tower, they put so many years, effort, millions of dollars, thousands of workers into building an incredible, luxurious, beautiful tower. But there was something that happened during the construction. As they were going down, they ran out of budget. Their calculations for the bedrock weren't exactly on point. And so as they were going down, they didn't reach the bedrock. They went down pretty deep, but not to the bedrock. They didn't have more money in their budget for foundation, so they said, whatever. Looks good enough. It's pretty deep. Looks good. City approved it. People approved it. They said, hey, should be good enough. It's safe. Guess what happened? The building sold out. People moved in. Everything got full. And through the years... The building started sinking. It's a huge problem. Not only did the building start sinking, but it's actually sinking from one of the corners, not all of them. So it's not only going down, it's actually going sideways. Have you guys ever seen the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy? It's popular because it's like this. Well, that was a mistake in construction also. It would, they were able to stabilize it, but it's actually pretty crooked. Now, this other building is a lot, lot, lot bigger. A lot, lot heavier. And it's sinking sideways towards one of the corners. Now, if this building falls, all of the investment that the builders made, they're going to lose. The people who bought in the building, they're going to lose money. Not only that, it could actually, the shaking from it collapsing, it can shake the structures nearby and it can make a lot of other buildings fall. It would be a huge catastrophe. And so what they did, they had to empty this entire building out. It's empty. And now they're trying to, make repairs and fix its foundation and make sure they take it to the bedrock to stop it from sinking any further and from creating a damage that could potentially be catastrophic to downtown San Francisco or to all the other buildings that surround it. 
You're saying, Pastor, I came to church. Why are you telling me stories about buildings? Well, this building, as I was reading about this building and watching a documentary on it, I was actually reminiscing on our lives and realizing how our lives are like a building. Our lives are like the structure. Sometimes we focus on getting very tall, very beautiful. It looks great on the outside. You know, we put the best luxuries and we try to get the best out of life and just make it look the best because we want people to like it. As a matter of fact, we want to like it. We want to look at our lives and say, hey, I got some of the best things. You know, I, I take pleasure in my life. I've done well for myself. I've built something big and significant and something amazing that others could admire. You know, and we invest so much into building our lives, but yet we pay attention to important things, but sometimes we forget the essential things. And this is what happened with this building. The luxuries were important. The look of it was important. The aesthetics and everything they put into it, it's very important. It's what got it sold. But it's not essential. You know what's essential? The foundation. Because without it, everything that was important and was nice is starting to fall and crumble. And in our lives, the same thing can happen. We can invest time and attention and effort and energy into things that are, yes, they're important. I'm not going to say they're not. But sometimes they're not essential. And we're not focusing on those things that sometimes are the most essential things. As a matter of fact, they're the foundation of our lives. And the worst thing that can happen is to get all this success or achieve our dreams and reach our goals and build something that looks so beautiful. But with the years, realize that it's sinking. Or worse, that it's going sideways and it's going to tumble and fall. Because if you fall and if your life falls, guess what? You don't only hurt yourself, you take those around you, your wife, your husband, your friends, your family, your kids, your church. We have the ability and the potential just to do so much damage. The faith of others who have seen us grow. And the only reason why that can happen, Jesus said, is because our foundation is not on bedrock because it was built on sand. This building, they didn't reach the bedrock with the pylons. It's actually on clay. And so it started sinking. It started moving. And it's going to soon fall to the ground if nothing is done. Having said that, the same thing can happen to our lives. And so we got to be very careful and, and just know that we're actually building on bedrock. That we're building on the things that are uh, eternal, per se. The teachings of Jesus Christ. Because he says, those who build their life on on my teachings are those people who are putting their foundation on bedrock. It's a solid foundation. If you're not following my teachings, if you're not doing the things that I teach you in the different areas of your life, you're putting it on sand. Look, it doesn't matter how strong it looks. It doesn't matter if you think, well, that's good enough, or it's going to last, or it looks stable enough, or I think I did my best. Because sometimes our best is not enough. Those builders thought their best was to do it the way they did. And guess what? It wasn't. Now they're having to pay more money, more time, more effort just to be able to stabilize the thing. Having said that, our life is the same. And it's really important that we understand that unless we build on a solid foundation, on things that are eternal, on things that cannot be shaken, our life will eventually tumble. You can't play with God. You can't pretend like you just do it whatever and nobody's going to notice or it's good enough or, or yeah, it's going to be okay. Because the worst thing that can happen is for you to realize that it's not okay. I don't know if this ever happened to you. It happened to me. I remember one time with my wife. Uh, we got in an argument a couple of years ago. And uh, all of a sudden, she's like, yeah, because when we were dating, you did this and this and that. And I'm like, what? And the reason why it surprised me is because it was a thing that had happened like seven years ago. And we had talked about it. And I thought it was addressed. I thought it had been forgiven. I thought it was something that was never again going to come up in our lives. And all of a sudden, she brings it up. And it's like a bomb. It's like a grenade going off in your house, like, boom. And it just hits you. You're like, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this problem to arise because I thought it was dealt with. I thought we did a good job. I thought that was fixed. Why is this showing up now? And it sucks in life when you think you got it all together, everything's moving good, things are working, you know, you feel like you're doing all right and everything's organized and everything's moving well. And then all of a sudden you realize that there's something 
that wasn't addressed way back in the past, and all of a sudden it blows up in your face. Has that happened to anybody or just me? Just me? Yeah? It sucks. Now question, if you could do something about it to avoid it from blowing up in your face later on, would you do something? I think we should. Imagine if these builders realized what was happening before anybody knew and they were able to address it and they were able to stabilize the building before it was on global news, before they were the laughing stock of the world, before they got some of their credentials removed, before they had to empty the building and lose millions of dollars. They probably would have fixed it. But it was too late for them. And you know, God's given us an opportunity to address some things in our lives that we think don't matter, that we think they're okay, we think nobody sees them, or we think they're not too important. They just haven't blown up yet. But do you want them to? Can I tell you, the Bible says in the book of James that God does not tempt anybody. And the word there, tempt, is the word pedraso, which actually means uh, lead to falling or testing or bringing difficulties to. In other words, it's saying God is not the one who brings the difficulties to your life. He's not the one who puts the things that you could stumble. It's actually the devil. And the word continues to say that you are tempted or you are tried and you are tested to your own wickedness. In other words, the things that we leave unsolved, the things that we leave unresolved, the things that we just... Uh, forget or we don't pay attention to but they're vulnerable or their weaknesses in us that's where you're going to be attacked so basically satan is looking at the areas of your life where you're weak where you're vulnerable where things are unresolved where you're not doing it god's way and he's going to attack you now the bible says that god will not allow for you to be tested beyond what you could handle in other words sometimes god stops the attack for a season he says not yet because my son, my daughter, that would destroy them totally. But it will eventually come on you. It will eventually attack you. It will eventually uh, manifest in your life. Now, there's a good thing when it comes to that. God knows that it's going to happen. And he's going to be with you all the way. And he's going to give you the wisdom and the ability to solve it. That's a good news. But the bad news is the problem is going to come. It's not if, it's when. Jesus said it. When the storm comes, when the rain comes, when the difficulties come. I don't know why some Christians think that just because you're a Christian, because you love God, or because you go to a church, or because you serve, or because you give a little bit of money, all of a sudden, you're never going to have any issues. That's not what the Bible says. Say with me, when. Say with me, when. when. Tell your neighbor. When the problems come. They're going to come. Who here is problem-free? Pray for me, please. I still don't have that anointing. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what. The more blessings God gives me, the more prosperous I become, the more children I have, the more influential I become, the more people I get to lead, the more problems I have. The more investments I have. Just anything that I get a little bit more of, all of a sudden means more problems. As a matter of fact, there's a song. It says, more money, more problems. That's literally how it is. You know, when I was single with my wife, we had this many problems. And I could deal with them. When I had my daughter, now we have our problems. And sometimes we have problems because of our daughter. But now I have a second son. And can I tell you, we have more problems today than we ever did. And I can't just say, oh, I wish I never had any kids. No. They're a blessing, the Bible tells me. But the more blessings we get in life, all of a sudden, the more pressure there is. Can I tell you, this building didn't sink for many years, or for a few years rather. But when the units got sold, when people moved in, when they started bringing their furniture, when they started getting married, and you say, why married? Well, because they brought another couple to live with them. That's at least 150, 200 pounds extra on the building. Multiply, and they bought a dog. So the more beautiful things they got, the worse the problem became. You know, in the Bible, it's funny that Jesus uses the term, the rains come. And why do I say it's funny? He says, say with me, the rain will come. We think it's something bad, right? Storms of life. 
But can I tell you that that same terminology, reign, in the Bible is actually a synonym to blessing. In the Hebrew culture, reign means blessings. That's crazy. It's crazy. Because they, they live in a very dry land. It was an agricultural society. And so they needed water in order to produce food and just in order to stay alive. There have been many droughts. So for Hebrews, the concept of rain is blessing. And he says, when the rain comes, your house will tumble. It's not only saying when problems come. You know what it's saying? When blessing comes. Do you know there's good things or blessings that can come your way that can knock you out? I'll give you an example. For some people, problems come when they start making money. Some marriages collapse when they start becoming wealthy. And you say, well, money changes people. No, money just shows who you truly are. It amplifies what you were in the beginning. It's just when you had this much, it was this visible. Now that it's like that, we could see you're prideful. We could see you're arrogant. We could see you're bossy. Or you're willing to do things to get that money. Having said that. You need to be strong and, and your house needs to be built in a rock. Not only for when problems come, and yes, they will come, but also for when blessings come. Because blessings have the ability to destroy you. The worst thing that has happened to some people is to get more blessed. I'll give you an example. Some people think they're doing great. And when they get married, marriage isn't so good. It was starting to happen to me. And when God brought stuff into my life and we were... Wanting to get married, my life became a whole lot worse. It was a little living hell. She's a woman of God. I'm a man of God. What's going on? Well, I used to tell her, you make me angry. You're the only person in this world that can make me angry. Because before her, I wasn't an angry person. So I went and talked to my pastor. And he said, look, look, look. The problem's not that she makes you angry. The problem is there's anger, there's anger in you in the first place. She's just triggering it. But the anger's in you. It's not her. You need to deal with your unresolved things. And I was like, what? I thought it was her fault. But God was showing me through blessing me. That blessing, just like that building, started putting more pressure on the structure. And sometimes pressure reveals who we truly are. And the pressure of a relationship started showing that there were things that I needed to solve and things I needed to deal with. And until I did that, I could not see this relationship as a blessing. It was almost looking like a bad thing. So sometimes that rain that God sends, sometimes those blessings that God sends, begin to put a lot of pressure on you, begin to put more pressure in your life. And you, it might look like a problem. It's not always a problem. Many times it's God trying to bless you. But until we resolve those structural issues and until we resolve those foundational issues, guess what? It's going to feel, not only is it going to feel, you're going to realize that you're sinking. We need to address those issues. We need to deal with those things. Because look, God wants to build you up. He wants to edify you. He wants you to be a long-standing structure. He wants your life to be like a flagpole, like a standard for other people to look at. He actually wants to glorify himself in you. But he will not be able to do that if our structure is weak, if we start sinking, if we fall under pressure. So having said that, it was only until all this weight was applied to the building that it started sinking. And guess what? God's going to begin to add weight to your life. As I was mentioning earlier, you know, I was doing pretty good. Man, I was the holiest man I knew when I was single. By the time I was getting married, I realized I wasn't so holy. I was the patient, one of the most patient people that I've ever met until I had kids. And with the first one, I was pretty patient. With the second one, I realized I'm not as patient as I think. God is going to add blessings to your life. But he doesn't want those blessings and that added on to sink you, to make you tumble or to fall. The Bible actually says this. It says that, good, that God is a good father. And if we know how to give good things to our children, how much would a heavenly father not give good things to those who ask? So let me ask you a question. If you're a good parent, are you going to give things to your children that are going to hurt them? Things that are going to destroy their lives? It might be a great thing. But if they don't know how to manage it, if they're not strong enough to deal with it, guess what? That thing that you had uh, good in mind, it might end up be, being that one thing that's destroying your kids. And so there's a lot of blessings, too, that God is holding back on. 
Things that you've been believing for. Things that you have been praying for. Things you have asked for. As a matter of fact, things that God himself has promised you and said, I will bring these things to your life. And you're like, God, where is it? And God's just saying, not yet. The structure's not strong enough. You might not be ready for it. Because the worst thing that can happen is for God to give it to you and then you just fall down. You get what I'm saying? And so there's blessings even. Some come and they start manifesting that the structure needs improvement. But some are not even coming yet. Some he's holding off and he's saying, son, daughter, you got to get stronger. You got to deal with these unresolved issues. I'll give you an example. If we were to talk about the healing process and all the things that we teach on healing. I've heard a lot of people say, well, how many healing courses am I going to do? Listen, it's not about the courses. It's about if we resolve the issues in our heart. It's about if we forgave, if we repented, if we dealt with those unresolved things. Because let me tell you, a course doesn't necessarily mean your, your life is on a bedrock. You might have done it two or three times. That doesn't matter. You know, as I go through life and I deal with things, even in my own family, hey, and I teach the courses, I realize there's still unresolved things in my life. That there's things I haven't resolved, things I haven't forgiven, things I haven't let go of, and things I haven't handed over to God and I haven't dealt with. And doing that is what makes my life sit on the rock. Not that I got a little certificate from taking a course. Not that I'm affiliated to this one particular church. We need to take the truths of God and apply them to our life to the point where we know we're standing on solid ground. Because if we don't, when the blessing comes, when the winds blow, when the storm comes, our life might sink. It says it came tumbling down. I don't think anybody here would like their life to come crashing down. Um, I, I don't know if you follow um, social media and stuff. I do a little bit, and some people love that holy gossip. Uh, th there's two people who are very popular this week, Shakira and Piquet. You heard of them? Okay. I, I don't like to talk about anybody, but they, they've made it very public. So I'm just addressing something that's common knowledge to everybody. You know, I'm not here smacking or talking smack about them. Uh, if you were to look at their relationship a couple of years ago, you would think to yourself, wow, look at that family. They're so successful. He's one of the best defensemen in soccer in the entire world, and one of the highest paid, and the best team in the world, Barcelona. Well, I say that's the best team. Some people might argue, but it's a good team. Wow. She's one of the best paid singers in the world. So popular. She didn't only break charts in the Latin market. She even did it in the Anglo market. As a matter of fact, two or three years ago, they did the, they did the Super Bowl halftime show. That's like one of the greatest honors for the American market for any artist. And she's one of the only Latino artists to be able to accomplish this. Awards beyond what you can count. Recognitions. Prizes. Millions and millions of dollars. Beautiful family. With children, with properties, they can travel, go anywhere. I mean, if you look at this building, it looked like the Millennium Tower, man. It had all the gadgets, the best technology, the best materials. You're like, oh my God, this thing's a beautiful thing. Now, if you look at it today, they got divorced. Not only did they get divorced, they got divorced in a very nasty way. He cheated. He's dating a girl half her age. Okay, that's on him. Left the family. She's trying to leave the country with the children. A lot of damage there to the kids. And then she started putting out songs about it. She started with saying, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't your fault. It was just monotonous. That's how it started. Her latest song, she's literally talking smack about the guy. And about the girl. And she's saying, now you got a Twingo and you got a Casio. I mean, I don't even know. I heard it. You know, I don't follow these things, but it's just everywhere so much. I'm just like, Jesus. I even thought it was, you know what? As a pastor, I listen to this and I'm not saying, oh, Shakira, yeah, she's doing good. She's a strong woman. I'm like, dude, there's a lot of resentment there and unforgiveness. And she has a lot of bitterness regarding the whole situation. And it's understandable. She should deal with it. That's just passing on to the kids is making the entire world know how bitter you are and just how messed up your relationship is. Pretty bad. Not only that, I was actually watching an interview that Piquet gave, and he plays a clip of the song. 
you know, she said, because she's, she's not only talking about that, but she says, you know, girls don't fall down. They start making money, da-da-da. And it just shows a lot of pride. And that's a wrong thing, too. But Piquet makes a comment that really caught my attention. And he says, listen to this. He plays the clip, and he's like, that's what I had to endure for the past 14, 15 years every single day. What is he referring to? Pride? Bitterness, ego. And the reason why I'm saying this is because if you looked at them 10 years ago, they were in love. They're so successful. Two years ago, man, they, they just on the top of the world. But today we're finding out that they weren't so happy after all. That for 15 years this guy's been miserable. That for so long she's had bitterness. That there's judgment, that there's pride in the relationship. Where am I going with this? Again, I'm not trying to put anybody on display or speak negative of anybody. They've made this very public and, and they're doing it themselves. But I just want to use this to make an example and say, could that be our lives? That looks so good on the outside, but in reality, the inside's no good. Listen, I've been with my wife, I'm going on six years, married now. I hope. She would never say, that's what I had to endure for the last six years. I've actually really enjoyed our marriage. I could actually say I'm blessed. I, you know, I, I sometimes say I won the lottery by marrying her, you know. One of the best decisions I've ever made. I wouldn't be able to say, I had to endure this for six years. No, it's been pretty good. I hope she doesn't say that about me. She had to put up with that guy for six. No, you know, it's been good. But there's a difference. You know what our relationship is built upon? Love. Forgiveness, because we're not perfect and we mess up. Caring for one another. Humbleness, not pride. Why? Because those are the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because that is what the Word of God teaches us. She submits to her husband. I honor her as a wife and I try to be tender and caring and loving. I treat her like a fragile vessel. And those are the teachings of Jesus. So I know that even when storm comes... You know, it might want to rock my house, but my house is not going to crumble. Why? Because we're built on a solid foundation. I don't know if this happened to you yet, but probably if you had storms come into your life and in different areas of your life, and you realized things weren't so bad. It was a big storm, but your house didn't sink. It didn't fall. It didn't tumble. And you're kind of surprised. You're like, wow. We made it to the other side, and guess what? Our marriage didn't fail. Our house is still okay. We're still doing all right. You know, that's amazing if you've ever experienced that. I've been able to experience that because I can honestly say, man, thank you, God. Because if this thing happened to me three years ago, five years ago, six years ago, it would have been a disaster. But the fact that we're alive, that we're okay, that we're strong, that we're moving forward, it just shows you've done an amazing thing in our lives. It shows me that we've built our house on the bedrock. So storm comes, and they, they not only show you the bad things, they can also show you the good things that God has done. We all go through storms, but when we're standing strong in a storm, when we're secure, when we know who our hope is on, when our house is not being shaken, you say, God, thank you for what you've done. My area, or my life, this area of my life is on your bedrock. And that's how it's supposed to be, because the storms are going to blow. Remember, half of the story says, when they blow, your house is going to stand strong. You know you're built on the rock. But how about those other areas that are not on the rock? How about those other areas that get shaky, that start moving, that start tumbling, where, where you say, whoa, 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 what's going to happen? Can I tell you, don't focus on how bad it is. Don't fear that it's going to fall. Be proactive. You know, these guys, imagine this. Imagine the people who own this building. They started crying. <laughs> Why didn't I do it different five years ago? It was his fault, the engineer. No, it was the city council who approved it. It's their fault. They would do nothing. You know what would happen? The building would eventually fall. You know what they have to do? They hired another firm, and they got the builders involved, and the city involved, and they're collecting funds. And they started stabilizing the building, and they're correcting what was wrong. It's harder to correct many times than to do things right from the first place. That's true. Sometimes it's harder to correct. But can I tell you, it's always better. And it's better because God doesn't move by pity. 
And things are not going to change just because you cry about them. Things are going to change when we start doing the right thing. And in their case, they have to stabilize the building and not only stabilize it so it doesn't fall, they have to make it operable so people can move back in. And a story of almost defeat can turn into a story of success. Can I tell you, your story of almost defeat, God wants to turn into a story of success. God wants to take that situation in your life and say, yes, it felt and you felt and you thought that it was going to fall and tumble, but it's not. Because even in the storm, even when it's shaky, even when you find out that area of your life was built up on the sand, God can come and with you and do an amazing work and put it, put it on the bedrock. But it's our decision. We got to be the ones that are proactive enough to do this. There's a man in the Bible called Job. And uh, in the story of Job, it's actually a whole book in the Bible, but in Job chapter 1, there's something amazing that I see. And it's uh, God, he's basically talking about him. And he says, you know, my son Job, he's just an amazing guy. He does the right thing. You know, he just honors me. He was a great guy, Job. 99% guy. But there was that 1% area of Job's life that wasn't right. And uh, you could actually read it there in Job chapter 1, verse 4. Job knew there was something wrong. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts. These feasts were parties, in other words, in their homes. And they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would go and purify his children. Why did he purify his children? Because he knew that they weren't holy. He would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings for each of them. Not even for the whole group. He'd do it for each, just in case. And Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and they've cursed God in their hearts. This was a regular practice for Job. Here it says perhaps in this translation. Other translation says because of my children's sin. In other words, Job knew his children were doing wrong things. They weren't honoring God. He knew it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever committed a sin or done something wrong? And you're kind of afraid that's, that that's going to cause punishment from God. Or, or now you're not going to get blessed. Or something bad is going to happen. Has that ever happened to you? Or does it only happen to me? Sometimes I do something. Well, at first you're afraid of the natural consequences. Whether it's the law or whether it's your wife or whatever. Some people are afraid of, right? But sometimes we're just afraid and say, oh, what, if, what if God's not going to bless me anymore? And I needed that miracle and maybe now it's not going to happen. Have you ever felt that? That fear? Or oh, what if all of a sudden this falls and tumbles because I didn't do the right thing? I think we've all encountered that fear at some point of our lives. Can I tell you Job did too? If we look at uh, Job chapter 3, verse 25, look at what he says. What I feared has happened. No, what I always feared. What does he mean by always? Of course not since he was born. He's referring to the fact that I've had this fear in my heart for a long time. What I feared for the longest has happened to me. What I dreaded, what I didn't want to happen, finally came true. No, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, only troubles. What happened to Job? His children died, and he lost all his money. He lost his business, which was animals. They died. That's crazy. Job is saying, what I've always feared, what I've dreaded finally came true. Question, why did he fear it? Question, why did he dread it? Did he not know his children were doing wrong? He did. And just like you and me, when we do something wrong, we fear that there's going to be consequences. Or there might be. And what if this happens? Guess what? They were also doing great parties. Whose money were they spending? Question. Job. So the money that God gave to Job to bless him and to honor God and to build his kingdom was being used in a way that was not God honoring. So what did he fear? He feared that something would happen to his children. And that's why he would go and present sacrifices continuously. So nothing would. He can't play like that. 
And he lost that. Maybe he would lose some of his money or his business because his money was being used in the wrong way. Everything that he feared overcame him. So I'm not telling you this so you grow afraid. I'm telling you this so you become proactive and you might go look at your life and say, hey, I got this area in my life that I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to. God told me to do this and I haven't done it yet. Or maybe here I think I've been doing good, but it's not good enough. And even though I felt like I tried my hardest, I'm really not. And I need to take it down to the bedrock. You understand? Because if we don't do that, there's always that bit of fear. And guess what? Where Satan comes. Listen, the Bible tells us that Satan went up to God and said, you see your son Job? Hmm, he loves you. He's a real good guy. But you see these areas of his life? And guess what? We might think, oh, God's so unfair. Why did he let Satan hurt him? But it's not God's fault. It's a, it's a biblical principle. It's a spiritual principle that in the areas where you're weak, in your vulnerable areas, in those areas where you allow sin, Satan all of a sudden has authority. And God cannot stop him. It's not of God. It's not his fault. It's your fault. And so Job was attacked in the area that he knew was wrong. And he played off and he gave offerings and he did whatever but he never really addressed it the way he should. That's where Satan came in. That's where he was destroyed. That's where he was hurt. And that's why he had to do better. Eventually in the story of Job, you read that God gave him twice as much as he had originally. God's idea was never to curse him. God's idea was to bless him and give him more. But he couldn't give him more because there was a weak area in his life. Can I suggest to you that there's some weak areas in our own lives? And there's areas where if God were to bless us, it would just destroy us. And we have allowed sin and things that are not holy and things that God has asked us to change and things that dishonor God to happen with our money and in our lives and in our children and with our wives and in our businesses and in our time. And what these things are going to do, maybe you haven't noticed it yet. You're like, oh God, you're so good. You're merciful. Oh, you forgive me. And yes, he's merciful. But when the storm comes, it will not be God to cause the destruction. It will be Satan. And it will come. Maybe God's held back the storm for a while. But there will come a point, a, time, a point in time where he can't hold it back any longer. And the judgment will come in that area. And Satan will have access. Don't wait until that happens and it blows up in your face for everybody to see and for you to become a laughingstock and for the world to know it. Address it now. Fix it now. Deal with it now. You already know what some of those areas are. And if you don't know what those areas are, pray. The psalmist, David, he would pray and he would say, God, he would say, search deep within my heart and look at those areas. Show me those areas where I'm wrong. He would ask for forgiveness for the sins that he committed that he was aware of and even for the ones that he wasn't aware of. You can't think you're so perfect that you're doing all good and everybody else is messed up. We got to look at our lives and say, God, search my heart. God, seek those things that do not honor you. Those things that you want me to change this year. Those things that I think I'm doing good, but I could improve and they need to go down to the bedrock. Or these areas where I'm dishonoring you, but I want to do better, God, help me. Those things that I might not even be aware of, but that I could do a little better, God, please help me. The Bible tells us that the eyes of God search the entire earth. And he goes through the earth seeking for somebody whose heart is entirely committed to him in order to bless those people. This is the crazy thing. It doesn't say God's seeking the entire earth to find somebody who's absolutely perfect because there isn't any. It says he's looking for people who are absolutely committed, which is different. You know, I'm not a perfect husband, but I am a very committed husband. I told my wife, I'm with you till death do us apart. I will never ask you for a divorce. I'm committed to my wife. I'm committed to my children. I'm committed to my family. How do you know? Because every time I'm going to get up and try to do it better. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. It just means that if my wife lets me know that I'm doing it wrong, I'm going to try to do it better. That's commitment. So commitment to God is not your perfection. Commitment to God is saying, God, I'm sorry for the areas I'm not doing good, but I want to do it better. God, I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to make some changes. Can you show me how I can be better? How can I be more holy? How can I be more consecrated? How can I seek you more? How can I please you more? That's commitment. You saying, well, God understands. I'm weak. I'm a man. 
This is how I was raised. Sure, he understands it. Devil doesn't. He's just going to attack you. That's it. And God can hold it back for a little while, but it will eventually catch up. Listen, do you get a speeding ticket every time you speed? No. But I guarantee you something. If you continue speeding, you'll eventually get one. It doesn't mean you always get one. It means you're eventually going to get one. And hopefully when you get one, it's not as bad. The other day we went to renew our plates for our company. It was $1,500 because of a few tickets. That will throw your budget a little bit off. It's an open door. I can't say, God, that's so unfair. How? I go to church. I'm a pastor. It doesn't matter. You with me? So don't be the Millennium Tower. Don't wait till your building starts tumbling for you to realize, I got to make some changes. I got to make some adjustments. I got to take these pylons of my life and the foundation all the way to the bedrock. Start doing it now. How can you do it? And I'll end with this. I'm going to read to you a verse and just tell you four points of how you could do it. Proverbs 3, 6. It says, seek his will or seek his ways. Another translation says, be obedient in all that you do. In what? In all. That's every area. Not just the ones you like or you agree. And he will show you the path you are to follow. In other words, when you consecrate your entire life to God and say, God, in this area, I don't know what I've been doing. Maybe I haven't been doing it right, but I want to do it your way. Can you please show me? His promise is, I will show you what to do in that area. I will bring revelation to your life in that area. I will guide you and give you wisdom in that area. And that's powerful because when you start doing it his way, you show commitment. And guess what's happened? God's going to bless you. When the storms of life come, it's not going to knock you out. When the rains of life come, it's going to bless you. You got to be proactive, not reactive. Don't wait till the thing's falling down. Do it from now. So just four things, quick points. Somebody can help me with the keys. But four things that we can do to move out of that and start putting our life on the bedrock. Number one, if you see areas that are not on the bedrock, things that God's asked you to do that you haven't done, things God's asked you to change you haven't changed, things God asked you to stop doing and you haven't stopped doing it. Or maybe you don't even know, but all of a sudden you find out something. Acknowledge the sin. Acknowledge the mistake and repent. That's number one. You know, there's a story in the Bible about the prodigal son. When he realized his condition and we, we had done, he said these words. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There's a principle to be learned there. When you sin, we hurt God. We hurt his heart. But we also hurt people. Our decisions take a toll on others. And if we've done that, we got to acknowledge our sin before God. Say, God, I acknowledge this wrong. And then you acknowledge it before people. Anybody who was involved, anybody who might have got splashed because of your conduct or lack of change or commitment, whatever it is, just go up to him and say, I want to apologize to you because I've been doing this, 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 and that, or I haven't done this, this, and that, or I haven't been obedient, and this has affected you one way or another. I want you to forgive me. That's humbleness. The Bible says those who humble themselves will be exalted. But those who exalt themselves or who hide their sin will be humbled. Don't wait for God to humble you. It's better to humble yourself. And so acknowledge the sin before God and repent. Acknowledge it before the people involved. And talk about it with someone who you consider to be an authority. Whether it be a pastor, a, a parent, a leader, a mentor. Somebody who you consider to be... Uh, a figure of authority to you and say, look, I need help with this. I'm struggling with this. I need to make this change. Number one, acknowledge the mistake and repent. Number two, make a commitment to learn what God says in that area where you're lacking. That's repentance because you can't really change if you don't have new information, new revelation. You're going to, trying to do it better doesn't always work. Oh, I'm trying my best. Well, you suck. <laughs> if you don't learn, right? 
oh, I'm trying my best. Well, that doesn't give you any merit. You need to learn what the best way to do it is. How do you do that? You got to make that commitment before God. I'm going to train myself. I'm going to go into the word, into scripture and study this topic and see what you expect. I'm going to get some books based on scripture and learn. I'm going to listen to some messages and learn. Whatever it is. I'll give you an example. Say one of the areas where you're struggling is being a father. You know, and even for me, now that I have my new son, I found myself that I'm impatient, that sometimes I'm yelling at my kids and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, I need to improve in this area. It wouldn't just be, like, oh, I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to be nicer. No, I have to learn what God says. So I got to go to the Word. I got to tell God to search my heart. I got to heal areas in my life, maybe of unforgiveness towards my dad or my mom or things that I haven't resolved. Maybe I got to pick up a couple of books. I remember the one my dad used to read, which now I'm going to start reading. It's How to Raise Young Men by James Dobson. Right? It worked for my dad. He was doing it all wrong. He started doing it better. So maybe it'll work for me. That shows repentance. So I got to make the commitment before God. Say, I'm going to train myself. I'm going to make a commitment with the people who are involved. So maybe in that case, my kids. And I remember when my dad did this with us, but he sat me down and he said, son, I don't know how to do this. But God teaches us how to do this. My commitment to you is I'm going to do all I can to learn and to apply it. Be patient with me. I promise you I'm going to be a godly father. It'll take some time. It'll take some effort. But I will do my best. And he wasn't perfect right away, but I definitely saw improvement. Today, I can say he's a great dad. Big change. So make a commitment with the people who are involved. Make a commitment with God. And again, make a commitment with an authority figure. Maybe a pastor or your wife or whoever, right? But say, man, I need help with this. Start learning. Third, make a plan of action. So not only learning, but how are you going to apply it? How are you going to live out this commitment? What are some tangible changes or things you can start doing or stop doing? Write them down and go to God. Again, say, God, I commit to doing these things. Go to the people involved. Again, listen, I want to make these commitments. I might not do it perfect right away, but I'm going to try my best. And if I ever don't, please let me know and I will correct. And go to an authority. Somebody who you consider important to you. That they will hold you accountable to keeping your plan of action. And number four, check back on the progress. So a month into it, two months into it, sit down and ask those people, you know how I'm trying to do this and that? What do you think? Have you seen improvement? What do you, have you noticed anything? It's good to get that feedback. You know, sometimes children are cruel, so they'll be like, you haven't changed a bit. You're the same kind of guy. And that's tough, you know. So don't be discouraged. Keep trying. Sometimes in your wife, and wives can be very critical, right? Uh, her husbands can too, so don't take it personal. But it's good to get the feedback. And that's why it's important to involve other people, a mentor or something. But sometimes you will receive that encouragement. Oh, man, you know, I really see you're trying. You've improved with this. I, I see this change. Thank you. You know, it's very uplifting. But two, it helps you see progress. You know, one of the things that happens with our bodies because we see ourselves every day, we don't really notice the change. So you don't, own, you don't notice that you're getting fatter until you're actually fat. You're like, oh, wow, I don't look the same. You don't notice that you're losing weight. That's why we have scales. If you get on and you say, well, I lost two pounds, you might not see it. But you know it because you measured. You need to measure yourself with instruments, gauging instruments, authorities, the people you love, the people involved. Check back on your progress and say, yeah, I mean, it, it's some improvement. It will encourage you. And if there's no changes, then listen, if you've been dieting for two months and there's your improvement, you should probably change the diet. It's not working for you. Oh, no, I just need to go for another four months. Listen, that kind of diet is not going to work for you. Because when something works, you start seeing it within a couple of weeks. Know, there's times where I'm like, I'm going to lose weight. Sometimes I do these things. I lose 5, 10 pounds. And people are like, oh, pastor, you look very different. 
they will notice. Having said that, track your progress. So, number one, acknowledge the mistake and repent. Number two, make a commitment to learn and get revelation in that area. Third, make a commitment and a plan of action to start doing or making the changes you need to do. And number four, check your progress. And if you do that, listen, you don't have to dramatically change from one day to the next. Oh, he's a totally different person. Even if it is one step at a time. Let me tell you, 1% improvement is better than no improvement. And sometimes we want to take on so much that we don't end up doing jack. We don't do nothing. Sometimes it's better to take smaller steps. But to actually do something. And if we do that, our lives are going to be different. We're going to honor God so much more. Blessings that have been blocked and haven't been released for a long time will all of a sudden be released. And God will bring that favor and those things into your life. Because one of the things I've understood with God, listen, He doesn't wait until I'm perfect to let me have it or to bless me. There's times where I've said, God, wow, I didn't realize this. And I repent and I write it down and I make a commitment. And I talk about it with my wife. And all of a sudden, the blessing comes. And for me, that's surprising because I think I haven't changed yet. But, but God says, but you got it, son. You know, when the prodigal came home, he just said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He didn't say, okay, you need to prove to me for three months that you're actually sorry for what you did before I give you any food, before I let you into my house. He didn't have to prove anything. You know what he had to do? Just confess that he was wrong before the person, before the Lord. And he made an action. He came back into his father's house. And as soon as the father saw him, he embraced him. He put a ring in his finger. He put sandals on his feet. He put a robe over him. He threw a party and threw a banquet. And sometimes God, just with the revelation, as soon as you understand what's wrong, you say, oh God, I've been messing up. I'm so sorry. I need to change this, this and that. And he's like, oh, you got it. I can see you understand what has been wrong. And all of a sudden, he moves his hand over here. Last thing I'll say. In my own life, I've seen this, and it's that when these problems come and these storms come, and I realize I'm not strong in that area, and my house starts shaking, oftentimes I've been tempted to try to hold it from shaking, to try to keep it stable, to do my best to fix the problem in my strength and figure it out. And, and the only thing I've done when I've done that is make it worse. So when that starts happening in your life, don't try to hold the house together because you can't and it will fall. Don't try to figure it out in your strength and don't try to fix the problem. You know what you do? These four steps. You acknowledge it. You repent before God. You make a commitment. You, you say, God, I'm so sorry. I got it. And the Bible says something. Those who repent from their sin and depart from it will reach his mercy. And you know what mercy is? It's undeserved benefit. In other words, you deserve something wrong, but now he won't give it to you. I won't come to you because there's mercy for that. That's powerful. Because there's occasions where I'm like, God, I really messed this up. I'm sorry. And instead of trying to fix the problem, I repent. I do the right thing. I try to put the foundation and do what God's asking me to do. And he takes care of the problem. This has happened to me countless times. But I've literally had calls where they're like, I remember one time I got sued literally I got sued and I was going to have to go to court and get a lawyer and figure all these things out and instead of even dealing with the problem I went and repented before God I said God I didn't know that was wrong I didn't know I hurt these people I'm so sorry I tried to do the right thing and I wrote to him not even for them not to sue me I apologized and I said if there's anything I can do to make it right I want to do that sorry all of a sudden, I get a phone call one day. I said, don't worry about it. Everything's taken care of. I said, what do you mean? I said, they dropped the lawsuit. Nothing's going to happen. You got nothing to pay for. Everything's taken care of. And I'm like, what? I, I didn't even try to fix the problem. I, I don't even know what happened. Don't worry about it. And that's not the only time that's happened to me. It's happened to me multiple times. Just a little bit ago, I told you a story of uh, something that was happening with the with the apartment that we bought and some money I had to come up with and you know big trouble instead of trying to figure it out one day I said God it doesn't matter if I lose the money I honestly I'm not going to be mad at you or angry or anything I just want to know what got me into the situation where I'm so stressed where I'm my head you know I'm running around like a chicken 
I'm sorry for not trusting you. What did I do wrong? I said, and even if I have to lose this time to learn the lesson, it's okay. I just want to make sure I got it right because I don't want to be in this situation ever again. And when I repented, when I confessed it, when I handed it over to God and I did what I had to do, all of a sudden, everything worked out. All of a sudden, the money started showing up from different places and everything got resolved without the stress, without the worry, without trying to hold the house together. Listen, don't be afraid of losing. Don't be afraid of the storm. Jesus said, be afraid of he who can end your soul and put it in eternal fire. He's the one I fear. Nothing, nothing else. Say, God, I'm sorry. I want to do things right. And when you do that, he'll take care of the rest or he'll show you, as this proverb said, the path to take. Amen? Amen. Let me stand to our feet. And we-